understand that. But if you would tonight, uh, be turning your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12, but I'd like to have prayer for these. Uh, if you would, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you in Jesus' name you take care of Ron, Lord. And you've already watched over him, and we thank you for that. Thank you for the way you're healing his body already. But Lord, we'd ask you to have mercy on him and heal him quickly. Bless Shelly as she's trying her best to take care of him there. And Lord, give the doctors the wisdom they need now to work with him. Because we know, Lord, his condition. I pray, Lord, that you bless me as I go through my operation on my eye. Lord, watch over me there. I pray for Barry, Lord. Uh, he's asked us to remember him his problems he's going through physically. I ask you to touch his body, watch over and keep him. Now, Lord, if you'll bless you tonight as we study that word together, give us the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love this portion of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, and I'd like to begin to read in verse 3 on down. I just want to read a little while. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest we be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastising, chastising for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward he yielded the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the holy hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Look in diligently, lest any man fall, fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burneth with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard it entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. 
And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and tremble, quake. But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the holy Jerusalem, and to a numberable company of angels, to the general assembly that and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signified the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Pray with him, please. Heavenly Father, as we read these tremendous statements that you've made to each of us Christians and people down through the ages, we realize that your holiness is something to be desired and a terrible thing if we don't keep it. Bless us, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll notice, this chapter primarily deals with God's holiness and how precious it is, and we're to consider Him and His holiness. And first off, He starts with chastening, and He says that chastening keeps us straight. And that makes me think of a, a teacher that this little boy was in class, he was misbehaving, and uh, he called his little boy's mama and said Johnny won't behave in class and she said uh, I'll tell you how to handle Johnny uh, hit Henry right side of him right side of the head when he misbehaved and Johnny will behave himself <laughs> I thought about that a lot every time I think about it when I see somebody else being corrected I get fearful of it Amen. I don't want that to happen to me is what that is all about. Now, when when we consider this tonight, I want you to look at it very carefully. Esau is an example, and he gives it to us here. A principle that's taught here in Esau's life is the believer who throws away golden opportunities in order to indulge some carnal desire will pay for it in the end. God makes it plain that He demands wholeness in the believer's life. Now, if you trade spiritual things from earthly things, as Esau did, you will pay for it or regret it later on. I told a boy came in my office, young man, and he had a job with a driving a truck and delivering uh, Pepsi Colas, making good money. And he came in my office and he said, Budweiser wants to hire me. And uh, I make more money working for Budweiser. I said, don't do it. And I showed him in the scripture 
some things that I believe the scripture says about that. And uh, he said, no, I've got to do it. I've got to make as much money as I can. And he started working for him, and he got him out of church. First thing he wanted to do is work on Sunday. Want to drive on Sunday. Deliver on Sunday. And the next thing, he's around that stuff, and then he starts drinking. And everything else that goes with it. And he lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost the whole family. And it was sitting in his trailer when that bomber called and asked you to come out and see him with a gun and fixing to commit suicide. And I prayed with him. He got back right now with the Lord. But what I'm saying is he was willing to trade worldly things for godly things. Now, God tells us there's a principle that goes with that. In verse 18 down through verse 24, we have a contrast here. Paul carries us back to when the old covenant was ratified at Sinai at the giving of the Mosaic law. We're reminded of the dreadful sights and sounds that heralded God's presence on the mountain. We can be thankful that we have not come to a place like that. Now somebody said to my wife the other day, she was telling me about it, that I wish I'd lived back in uh, David's day. No, you don't. Uh, I guarantee you one thing, Brother David probably cut each one of our heads off in this room. Because if we didn't do exactly what he told you to do, he'd cut your head off. Just that simple. And so uh, you don't want to live back under the law. You don't want to live under the terror of God. Now listen very carefully. We're reminded though of those dreadful sights and sounds that hear to God's presence in the mountain. We can be thankful that we don't live in such that. Now, there was the fearful vision of burning and blackness and tempest and trumpet and trumpet. Uh, there were fearful and showing of God's power enough to chill the strongest heart. Everything was designed to impress God's awesome holiness upon the people. God was not to be trifled with. Along with the fearful vision was the equal fearful vision of a voice of verse 19. Look at verse 19. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. That's God's voice. Amen. And if you read on, you'll see how terrible it was. Now, it was a voice that smote terror in the soul. So was the giving of the law. In verse 20, they could not endure that which was commanded. The law itself was terrible. It even, uh, it, it, even if a beast so much as touched the mountain, it had to uh, be stoned to death or thrust through the dark. The whole lesson was one of God's unapproachable holiness of the defilement of sin of every man and beast. Even Moses could not stand it. Verse 21, So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now think about who Moses was. Moses is the one that met God at the burning bush. Moses was up on the mountain with God. And yet, uh, Moses said God's wholeness which was represented by the fire and the blackness and the thunders and the lightning and everything was going on on that mountain. Uh, it was talking about the holiness of God. And Moses even said, I exceedingly fear and quake at God's holiness. Now the old covenant demanded distance, but the new covenant demands closeness. How foolish to do what Esau did. 
trade something of such value for something that could never satisfy. How foolish to trade the sweet and gentle blessings of Christianity for the cold, hard, former, fearful offerings of Judaism. Look at verse 22. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 22, now he carries them back to under Judaism. But we are come under Mount Zion and under the city of the living God, the holy Jerusalem, and to a number of a company of angels, to a general assembly of church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh of better things than that of Abel. Now, attention is first drawn here to the plan on which believers now live. It's a place remarkable for security. Verse 22, But you are coming to Mount Zion. You know what Mount Zion is? Mount Zion in Jerusalem was crowned by David's citadel. It was the strongest point in the city. Mount Zion was a vital part of Jerusalem's defenses. It speaks of security. We have come to the heavenly Zion to a place of absolute security. Verse 22 said, We have come to a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to a number of company of angels. God first placed man in a garden. Now he places man in a city. Now God's city, a place where all his own is gathered in a glorious eternal community. Think about this. Three things are associated with a city. Position, population, and progress. Cities exist to make life richer by means of their organization and wealth. The city of the living God is like no city on earth because, as to its position, it is settled in heaven. As to its people, it is the eternal home of the redeemed. I went through a bad part of town today and I told my wife, God has blessed us so much because we don't have to live in a place like this. We live in a, city, a community better than the one we was in. And I don't take that for granted. I thank God for that. Amen. Can you imagine one day just just how little better that my position is where I live than the position that we was in where I visited and compare the best on the face of the earth to heaven? I got news for you, brother. I got a position in heaven. And ain't nothing like this mess down here. Listen. As to perfect, it exists to make life richer and glorious. Again, John used a whole chapter to describe this city. Revelation chapter 21. Now I believe it will be brought down from heaven during the millennium and placed in a stationary orbit over the early Jerusalem where Jacob's ladder pictures going back and forth and going to heaven and back to earth to be the ultimate seat of authority during the millennium, that great city. And that's what he's talking about. Now watch this. The redeemed are so completely saved that in spirit they already have come to that city. Did you know what we're strangers in a strange land passing through this land? Do you know what the Bible calls you and I as Christians? We're ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? He ain't at home. He's in a foreign country. He's representing somebody. He's representing the company, the country that he came from, a glorious country. 
Now, if the plane on which we dwell is in the heavenlies, then the people with whom we dwell are no less glorious. We're associated with the servants of God, verse 22 and 23. We're come to a number of company of angels, to the general assembly. Now, the reference here is not to the church, but to angelic hosts. Remember, the angels were present at Mount Zion at the giving of the law. But what a different day is now. Instead of the manifestation of awesome power, there is joy in the presence of angels of God because the sons of men are being redeemed. Do you know there's one thing that makes angels in heaven joyous? You know what it is? When a soul gets saved. The Bible says angels in heaven rejoice. Think about that. Now, we're, we're, in God's eyes, we're already there. Now, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 says that ministering spirits sent unto the world to wait upon us. That's what they're here for. Notice here's a glimpse of the great gathering center from which the angels rush forth to care for the needs of God's children. We're associated with the sons of God. In verse 23, we're come to the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. Now notice, no creature has ever seen that church in its entirety, but it's already complete in the counsels of God. Did you know the last soul that ever gets saved ain't saved yet? Think about that. I believe this, when that last soul gets saved, Jesus comes. Now I don't know when that's going to be, but I've often said I sure would like to be leading that one to the Lord. Amen? Wouldn't that be something? You'd be kneeling with somebody and praying that Jesus would save their soul. Bam, there he is. Amen. I would like to say, that's the one I've been telling you about. <laughs> Amen. We belong with a great company. Uh, these are the persons with whom we live, the angels and the saints of God. But then there is the presence of which believers now live. We live in the presence of God. But... We come, we are to come to God, the judge of all. Now look at verse 23. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all. Did you know the Bible says we're not to judge anybody? We're not to judge anybody. And I, I had to learn that as a pastor and, and dealing with people because I, I wanted people to be like Jesus. And I, I try my best... I always talking about quit drink, quit smoke, quit cuss, quit doing. You ought not to do that and, and judging people. I learned real quick, that ain't my job. That's God's job. All I'm supposed to do is point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is a judge of all. God has already judged the believer in the cross of Christ. I want you to get this picture, please, please. If you don't get anything else, please get this. Because of Christ's work, we are pronounced justified. Just as though we'd never sinned, we now live in God's presence, in the presence of His character of all things as judge. Everything to the believer has already been judged. We have no fear. We have no dismay. We have no apprehension, no sense of shame, no loss of guilt, because not the slightest stain of sin, nor even the faintest memory of guilt remains. 
so perfect is our justification that we can bask in the presence of God from whose face the heavens and the earth will one day flee away. Now get this, years ago in a Southern Baptist congregation, I found this in a little book. It tickled me so good I don't read it to you. A preacher waxed elegant in prayer over this very passage from Hebrews. Lord, he said, we're come to the mountain of Zion. One of his people, a wrinkled old lady, cried out in ecstasy. Glory to God. Lord, we're come to the city of God. Glory to God, cried the old lady. Lord, we're in the heaven of Jerusalem. Glory to God, she cried. And Lord, we are with the multitude of angels. Glory to God. And we're enrolled in heaven, Lord. Glory to God. And we are with the general assembly. Glory to God. And Lord, cried the preacher, lifting up his hands, Lord, we aren't fit for such a honor, Lord. Glory to God, cried the old lady. It's a lie. <laughs> I read that thing and I said, man, uh, she's got it. Amen. Because you, you listen to the last line that preacher said. Lord, we're not fit for such a... Oh, yes, we are. God's made us fit. Amen. We're fit for heaven right now. We're not only there as justified people, we're with justified people also. Look at verse 22 and verse 23. But you are coming to Mount Zion, under the city of the living God, to heaven to Jerusalem, and to a number of a company of angels, to a general assembly, and church of firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. I love that word, perfect. Amen. Here's something to think about. You cannot pray for that loved one who's already gone to heaven. Do you know that? Why would you pray for somebody in heaven? They're already there. There's nothing to pray for them. I think about that a great deal. I think about my daddy, my mom, and all them. I don't need to be praying for them. They're already got You can't pray for somebody already in heaven. That's the reason it's a Catholic thing of praying for somebody out of purgatory and so on, praying them into heaven. That's not scriptural. Because once you're dead, so lies the tree. You can't change it. Amen? And that's what the Bible plainly teaches. Now, here's something I want you to think of. You can give praise for them. I go around all the time praising God. My daddy's in heaven. My mama's in heaven. And that's what this is all about. There's not anything in my life that I would trade for eternal salvation. That's what Esau brought into the picture for. Esau traded the most precious possession of his life for some pottage. Something that he consumed in just a moment. On himself. And I know so many people that will trade something Beside, instead of eternal life for something they consume in just a few minutes and it's over with. But when you got eternal life, you got something that'll be everlasting. And this whole scripture, I, I try to imagine sometimes when I'm by myself sitting and reading the Bible, I try to imagine heaven. I was talking to a man about this. He, he said, hey, you got to be careful about that preacher. He said, you'll get into idolatry. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're setting up in your mind 
a, a, a temple of God and you're going there and imagining and worshiping and that's idolatry. I said, are you out of your gourd? I said, when I went out west hunting, I, I, for a whole year, I read every book I could read on Montana and the deer hunting and elk hunting and how cold it got and what kind of clothes I had to have and shoes I got to have and everything else. And I imagine going to that snow and hunting them big animals and everything and being in that position. I imagine all that in my mind. And I got out there with none like that. But anyhow, I, I, what, I, what, what got me was I had it all in my mind. I'm going to enjoy that. Well, brother, I got news for you. Every once in a while I think about heaven. And I think about God on His throne. I can't imagine what that's going to be like. It, it just won't... I can't comprehend it. I want to, but I can't. I can't comprehend an angel. The Bible says that there's only, what is it, two angels, I think it is, got wings, and the rest of them just go wherever they want to. They're just gone. I can't imagine that. Walking through a door. I mean, Jesus walked right through a door. I mean, you think about all these things, and you think about never dying, and all the things that heaven has got, and what this is talking about, there's nothing worth that on this earth. Don't trade something out for eternal life. That's what it's all about. Stand with me, please. Heavenly Father, we think about what we're going to be able to see with our naked eye one day. What a sight. What a glorious assembly of angels gathered around the throne of God. All the Christians that's ever been saved by the grace of God will be there singing wonderful, wonderful songs that melt our heart before you. And the terror that must have been in the children of God's hearts that day that you thundered on that great mountain of God and spoke from heaven and they heard the voice and trembled in fear. Thank God we don't have to do that. By the grace of God are we saved and we have perfect peace in the Lord Jesus. Bless us tonight, we pray as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight.